This morning we are in the second section of Paul's three-part series that's basically called the household code. Last week we looked at the relationship between wives and husbands. Today, parents and children, and then next week, slaves and masters. Now in this household code, Paul always starts off by giving instruction to the subordinate party. So as the head of the family, as the head of the uh, spouse, he first talks to the wife. And in this passage today, since children are to, to submit to their parents, he talks first to the parents. But before we work our way through these four verses, you need to understand that what Paul is writing here was very radical. Because in first century Rome and the surrounding area, children were not loved and prized as they are today in our current culture. The ancient philosopher Philo writes about this in a letter between a husband and a wife. And I want to read to you this, this portion of the letter. This was written in 1 BC. Here's what the letter says. The husband writing to his pregnant wife says this. I beg and plead with you to take care of our little child. And as soon as I receive wages, I will send them to you. In the meantime, if you give birth, if it is a boy, let it live. If it is a girl, expose it. This is not a joke. In the first century context, if you didn't want your child, you could throw it onto the trash heap and get rid of it. Similarly, John Stott in his Ephesians commentary says this, It was a radical change from the callous cruelty which prevailed in the Roman Empire, in which unwanted babies were abandoned, weak and deformed ones were killed, and even healthy children were regarded by many as a partial nuisance because they inhibited sexual promiscuity and complicated easy divorce. So what Paul is writing here in Ephesians 6, when he actually addresses children, is huge. Paul is communicating to the church, children have value. They have been created in the image of God. Just imagine the context in which Paul is writing as Paul's letters circulated throughout the Roman Empire. They didn't have Bibles. There would be one copy of a letter that was delivered to the synagogue. And all of the church would gather, children included. And somebody would stand up and read the full letter. So they would have stood up and read all six chapters of Ephesians in one sitting. And just imagine that little boy or girl sitting in the audience and Paul specifically addressing them when he says in verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. In the same way, all of us in this room today, you're a child. By the fact that you are here, you are a child of somebody. Now, you might not have the best relationship with your mother or father. Maybe you have a great relationship with your mother or father. But everyone in this room today, this text has meaning to you because we're all children. And as the body of Christ in this congregation... And as we celebrated last week in baby dedication, we're all responsible for bringing up these children in our church. So the teaching of Paul today on parents and children is applicable to every single person in this room, regardless of whether or not you are yet a parent. And here's what Paul says in this passage. It's very simple. These are not rocket science points today. Number one, children, obey your parents. Number two, fathers, Disciple your children. 
Number one, children, obey your parents. Number two, fathers, disciple your children. Let's set the foundation first about what it is that Paul is telling these children to do and what he's telling us to do. Let me ask you the question. Does God know what's best for his children? You can answer that rhetorically if you want, but the answer is an emphatic yes. And because he knows what's best for us, to obey his commandments is for our good and for our benefit. And in the same way, children, which is all of us, if we have parents and we trust that they love us and they care for us, then to obey them is actually for our good, not our detriment. Now, sometimes obedience is hard. Sometimes it feels unfair, maybe even overwhelming. But if we keep the long-term view in mind that God knows what's best for his children, therefore we as children should submit to the leadership of our parents. It might be hard, it might be challenging, but it is what God calls us to do. So I would encourage you to keep that mentality in mind as we work our way through this passage. If God gives us commandments and rules for our benefit, for our holiness, which ultimately leads to joy, then perhaps our earthly parents are doing the same things for us when they call us to be obedient to them. So, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Paul says. Obey is another imperative verb. Chapters 4 through 6 of Ephesians is full of these imperative verbs, meaning it is a command. It is not up for debate. It is not up for suggestion. Paul is telling these children in Ephesus to obey their parents. He is telling all of us in this room who have parents to obey and honor our parents. This commandment that Paul is giving is not original to him. It takes us back into the Old Testament, two specific places. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16. Exodus 12 says, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Deuteronomy 5, 16 says something similar. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you that your days may be long, and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So Paul, in this context, is not telling these children something that they would have been unfamiliar with. Especially if they're Jewish Christians, they would have been familiar with the Torah, they would have been familiar with Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. Paul is simply reinforcing what was already in place under the Old Covenant. And he uses that prepositional phrase, in the Lord, to prove that it still applies under the new covenant. Because in the Lord is talking about Christ himself. Ultimately, children are to obey their parents because it is a reflection of their obedience to Christ himself. We submit to the teachings of Christ by submitting to the authority of the parents that God has given us. Why should children do this? Paul gives the answer. It's very simple. Because it's the right thing to do. Paul says that. Now I know what some of you are thinking. But you don't know what my parents have asked me to do. You're right. I don't. 
But Paul is thinking in an ideal situation here. No one in this room, nor is Paul teaching anyone to obey their parents in a way that would be contrary to the teachings of Scripture or unethical or immoral in any way. Paul is not saying, always follow your parents no matter what. He is assuming, as he writes this letter, that he is writing to Christians who are godly, loving parents, and they desire what is best for their children. That is the scenario, the assumption that Paul is making in the text here. If your parents are leading you to do something that goes contrary to Scripture, the best thing you can do for your parents is respectfully and with honor ask them, where does it say in the Bible that I am to do this or that? Now, don't do it in a smart aleck way, in a way to get out of like cleaning up your room or something like that, because that's not in the Bible, and I know what you're going to do. You can't use it as an excuse to get out of doing chores or anything like that. But ultimately, Paul is not saying that we as children have to do every single thing our parents say, especially those things that go contrary to what Scripture clearly teaches. But we are called to honor our parents and be obedient to them. So children, teenagers in the room, hear me just for a moment. More than likely, your parents are asking you to be obedient to them because they love you and because they know what's best for you. I know this is hard for some of you to imagine, but your parents were teenagers one time. They were children at one time, as horrifying and as disgusting as that might sound to some of you. It's a reality. And so many times, we as parents are setting up rules for our children to follow, not as a way to make their life miserable, but because we have done dumb things. We have made mistakes. We have been disobedient to our parents. We have sinned. And so we do not want that for our children. So we set these parameters, these rules in place to actually protect the next generation from making the same mistakes that we did. So I would encourage all children and teenagers, even adults that still have parents living, to give parents the benefit of the doubt, and realize that probably most of the rules, if not all of the rules that they are asking you to obey, are actually in place for your benefit and your protection because they love you. And Paul cements this idea of obedience to parents by explicitly mentioning the texts from Exodus 20.12 and Deuteronomy 5.16. He says... This is the first commandment with a promise. But is that actually true? Well, it is true because it's in God's word. But there are many commentators that get a little puzzled by what Paul is teaching here. Because in the Ten Commandments, we actually also have a promise in the second commandment. It says this, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, 
When God says he will punish idolatry, he is making a promise. But this promise in commandment number two is actually a more generic promise that would apply to all ten of the commandments in Exodus chapter 20. But specifically, here in this commandment, God is making a specific promise. And that promise is that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. What is Paul teaching here? If I obey my parents, I'll live to be 100? Not really. God, first off, knows how long we're going to live our lives. He knows that. He's sovereign. He has appointed the number of days that we will be on this earth. But the principle of what Paul is teaching here does still apply. Children that lead disciplined and obedient lives, barring some traumatic event in their life, more than likely will lead longer lives. How do we know that? Well, let's use the same principle to an adult. If an adult exercises regularly, eats healthy, gets the right amount of sleep, makes a positive contribution to society, they greatly increase their chances of living a long life. There is no guarantee that you will live to 100 just because you exercise and you eat nothing but vegetables and drink water like Daniel did. There's no guarantee. There's no formula here. But... If you avoid those principles and you eat whatever you want and you never exercise and you don't get the right amount of sleep and you're lazy, you drastically increase the chances that you will not live a long life because you are not taking care of the physical body that God has given you. Children, in the same way, that are undisciplined and do not listen to their parents and obey them, increase the likelihood of not being disciplined and obedient in other areas of life and probably increase the likelihood that they will not live a long life. I said likelihood. This is probability here. We're not talking about an exact science. But children, which is all of us, the principle applies Obey your parents, and it will set you up for the opportunity to live a long life, trusting that ultimately God is in control and sovereign over the number of days that we have. So number one, children, which is every single one of us in this room, we are called to be obedient to our parents. Adults in the room, we know that we're not really required, I guess, to be as obedient to our parents as the same way that children are, since they don't live under our care, but we are called to honor our parents and respect them and submit to their leadership to the extent that they have it over our lives. doesn't mean we have to agree with our parents on every single thing when we become adults, but we are to honor them, to treat them with respect, to remember that they were actually the ones that brought us into the world and to love them and cherish them, even in the adult years that we have with them. And then number two, fathers, disciple your children. Now, the verse is explicitly directed at fathers, but we can broaden the application. Paul's talking to parents in this passage. Fathers, 
do not provoke your children to anger. Now, in the ancient world, the father had complete control over his children. And he had authority over their lives for all of their lives. Paul is encouraging these Ephesian Christian believers not to abuse that authority. Do not treat them with harshness and do not annoy them for the benefit of your enjoyment. That's exasperating your children. I've been guilty of doing that a time or two because sometimes in my flesh it's fun to get my children annoyed, but that's not good. We're not supposed to do that. And by the way, the children that God has entrusted to us, they have not been given to us for the purpose of fulfilling all the hopes and dreams that we were not able to fulfill ourselves. We are not to live vicariously through our children. Your children's dreams might not be your dreams. And we do not need to train our children to be robots for our benefit because it makes us feel good about ourselves or the things that we missed out on. What is the most important role that the father has in the lives of his children? Without question, it is being the spiritual leader of the home. Fathers, men in the room, you are responsible for discipling your children. It is not the church's job. You cannot outsource the discipling of the children that God has given to you. Yes, we will come alongside of you and support you and equip you and provide programming and opportunities for your child or your teenager to grow in the faith, but ultimately, it is your job. It's no one else's. A thought experiment that you might want to do on your own time or not do, it's completely up to you. What if you were to ask your children? What if I were to ask my children? Beckett, Emma, Avery Kate, based on the way daddy lives his life and the interactions that you have with me, what do you think the most important thing in my life is? I wonder what the answer might be. Would they say it's Jesus and his church? Or would they say Alabama athletics? Would they say the amount of money in your bank account? It's a horrifying question to consider. Our kids are really smart. They know the things that we prioritize. They know what we care about. Maybe you want to pray before you ask that question to your children this morning. And I'm half joking and I'm half serious when I say it. Our kids know what we prioritize. They know the things that we care about. Now, I've only been a parent for eight and a half years. I'm certainly no expert. So the things that I talk about this morning, I don't have a lot of life experience behind this. So I, I approach this topic with great humility and understanding that I need the wisdom of other parents in this room who have been parents far longer than I have. And our children have not experienced a lot. They're still very young. But I do want to make an observation about some things that I see 
in the current climate of parenting that concern me. Here's what I see, especially in our American culture. Number one, I see parents selling out to ensure that their son or daughter get a college scholarship as if they have no faith whatsoever that if they faithfully disciple their children and train them in the ways of the Lord that God somehow might provide for them financially? Is it really worth trading the soul of your son or daughter for college tuition? I also see parents many selling out to youth sports. They truly believe that their son or daughter is the next superstar. And I hate to burst their bubble, but 99% of kids will not play any sport past high school. Is it really worth sacrificing the spiritual disciplines, the church of Jesus Christ, the discipling of your children? Is it really worth trading all of that away for a fifth grade baseball trophy? This is coming from somebody who played all sports all the way through high school. I have zero idea where my parents stored my baseball and basketball and football trophies. I don't know where they are. They're either collecting dust in the attic of my parents' house or they were thrown away in the trash can many, many years ago. Are you willing to sacrifice the soul of your son or daughter over t-ball, over minor league baseball? I see parents selling out by making memories with their children. They can't be committed to the local church or to discipling their kids because they're so busy making memories which prevent a regular rhythm within the life of the church or regular discipleship in the home because they're gone every weekend making these memories with their children. Let me just say in all humility, memories are not eternal, but souls are. How we spend our time with our children, what we prioritize with our children and our grandchildren, they know what we care about because they see it. You want to make memories with your children that will last a lifetime? Gather around the table and read God's word together. Sing God's word together. Pray together as a family. Show up at church together as a family. While those memories might not be as exciting in the moment as a trip to the beach or a Disney vacation, over the long haul, your children will remember the spiritual foundations that you set for them. Now, let me be very clear. There is no guarantee that because you ask your son or daughter to memorize the entire New Testament, that when they grow up as adults, they will faithfully follow Jesus. There is no exact formula that proves that if you do that, your child will grow up to be on fire for the Lord. There's no magic formula. But I like my chances in promoting the word of God and praying to God and showing up to church as a family. I like my chances with that as opposed to sacrificing my soul to all of these worldly things that will not make a lick of difference in eternity. 
So I'm going to play the probability game with my family. And if they grow up and they don't love Jesus, I will continue to pray that God will move in their hearts, but I'm going to train them up to be on fire for Jesus Christ because that is what God's word tells me to do. And I've been meditating on these verses from Isaiah chapter 55 the last couple of months. And they're verses that I believe wholeheartedly. Here's what Isaiah says. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So the more we can speak God's word into our children's lives, the more we can read God's word together as a family, the more we can pray God's word together as a family, show up and hear God's word week in and week out, I believe with all of my heart, that it will accomplish that for which God purposed it. Because God's word says that it will. So as parents in the room, it's very simple. We either believe that the word of God and his church is the most important thing we can do for our children or we don't. There is no middle ground here. And we can say it with our mouths all day long that we care about the word of God and that we care about his church. But if we don't back it up by actually coming and teaching them, then it doesn't matter what you say, you don't actually believe it. Talk is cheap. Actions, what matter? So fathers in the room and also mothers, this is your responsibility. Wives, as we learned last week, are to submit to the leadership of their husbands as the husband submits to the leadership of Christ, who is the head of the church. And as the leader of the household, fathers in the room, you are either intentionally or unintentionally creating habits for your children that they will carry with them once they are out of your home. There's an old song from the 1970s called Cats in the Cradle. Many of you know this song, and it illustrates so well, I think, what Paul is teaching in this passage. So I want to read the lyrics to you. I would sing it, but I'm just going to read them. My child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in the usual way, but there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away, and he was talking before I knew it. And as he grew, he'd say, I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know I'm going to be like you. My son turned 10 just the other day. He said, thanks for the ball, Dad. Come on, let's play. Can you teach me to throw? I said, not today. I got a lot to do, he said. That's okay. And as he walked away, his smile never dimmed. It said, I'm going to be like him. Yeah, you know I'm going to be like him. Well, he came from college just the other day. So much like a man, I just had to say, son, I'm proud of you. Can you sit for a while? He shook his head and then said with a smile, what I'd really like, Dad, is to borrow the car keys. See you later. Can I have them, please? I've long since retired. My son's moved away. I called him up just the other day. 
I said, I'd like to see you if you don't mind. He said, I'd love to, Dad, if I can find the time. You see, my new job's a hassle, and the kids have the flu. But it's been sure nice talking to you, Dad. It's been sure nice talking to you. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me, he'd grown up just like me. My boy was just like me. Parents, mothers, fathers, maybe grandparents in the room that are responsible for raising their grandkids, we must set the example. The world is never going to set a biblical example for your children. It is not going to happen. So you need to be catechizing your children in the truths of Scripture. Because if you don't, Hulu, Netflix, Instagram, Twitter will catechize your children. We have a responsibility to do this. If your father, if your parents didn't disciple you, change the narrative for your family. Take the initiative. Begin doing it. Start doing it with your children. Challenge them to do the same thing with their children. Do not make the college education. Do not make the sports team. Do not make the extracurricular activities more important than your son or daughter's relationship with Jesus Christ. You cannot do that. Well, you can. Devastating effects will come. Make sure what you say is most important to your children matches what you show them is most important. And most importantly, teach them regularly about the gospel. That Jesus came, lived the perfect life, died for their sin in their place, and that all that repent of their sin and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ can have eternal life and a restored relationship with God. That's the type of discipline and instruction that our children and grandchildren need. So as you leave today, as a way to encourage this type of teaching, we have basically devotionals for kids and families that start with Palm Sunday, and they will take you all the way through Easter Sunday. As you leave today, walk by that Connect desk. We have these free little resources. It's a brand new Bible that's out specifically for kids called the Big Storybook Bible. And basically, we have received free copies of all of the stories within that Bible that go along with everything that Jesus endured on Holy Week. So I would challenge you to begin today, after the Masters is over tonight. (laughs) Have that family devotion with your children. Teach them what it means that Jesus rode in on a donkey on this day. And the ramifications of what that means for sinners. And the hope that is available for sinners because of what Jesus did by entering into Jerusalem on this day over 2,000 years ago. Fathers, parents, disciple your children. Children, obey your parents. Because God's word teaches us to do so. Let's pray. God, would you just forgive me for the times that I fall short of being the parent that I need to be when I prioritize things that ultimately don't matter? God, give me wisdom. Show me how I can be a better parent. 
how I can treasure and nourish my children with the word of God. God, I know that I will be tempted to prioritize the things of this world and I need your spirit to help me resist all of the ways that culture tells me this is what your child needs or that is what your child needs instead of remembering that they need the word of God. I pray for all of the parents in this room today. We're on this journey together. We need wisdom. We need discernment. We need each other to learn from the experiences that others have had that have come before us, to learn what worked with our kids and what didn't work and how, you, and how we can help one another do better with our own. And for all of the children in this room, which is every single one of us, help us to be obedient to our parents, to honor them as Scripture clearly teaches. We thank you for who you are and for this passage that Paul delivers to his church in Ephesus. We ask all these things in Christ's name, amen.